This is the latest sermon from Redeemer Community Church. We're so glad that you're here. Whenever you go to the beach, which I feel like Memorial Day should make you feel like the beach, but today it feels like fall. I feel like football should be happening this week or something. But when you go to the beach, there are different types of people. Some people are minimalist. You show up to the beach and you bring a towel and that's it. You've got no shade. You have no water bottle, nothing. You're just, you're rolling with the towel and that's it. Hopefully you have a condo or a house somewhere close by. But other people, they bring the whole tailgate. I mean, they're thinking football season. They roll out the pop-up canopy tent. They've got a grill. They've got every game you can imagine from cornhole to bocce ball to other fun beach games. And and I don't know what type of person you are. Maybe you're on the far minimalist scale. Maybe you're on the far tailgating scale. Maybe you're somewhere in between. But whenever you go to the beach, eventually you will make your way into the water. And you get into the water and maybe you jump waves, body surf, boogie board. Maybe you search for starfish. I don't know what you do in the water. But if you lose track of time, eventually you will look back to the shore and you'll have a moment of panic. You'll look back to the shore and you'll think, oh no, someone has stolen our tent, right? Or someone has taken our stuff or someone has moved our stuff and and because you look back and it's, it's gone. But then, because you're an adult and because you're smart and you're with it, you look up the shoreline, you're like, wait, my stuff didn't move, I moved, right? And I believe that's such a good picture of our faith. So many of us, we we have these moments where we're all in with Christ. We are fully committed. You know, we have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. We're in. And then what happens is seasons come, seasons go, life happens, different things are, are going on. And before you know it, we've lost track of time. We look back to the shore of our faith and it feels like God's moved. You're like, why do I feel so distant? Why, why, why is it that God doesn't seem near anymore? And if we could realize God's never moved, it's that we've drifted away. And so a lot of us with our faith journeys, we find ourselves with a faith that ebb and flows. It, it waxes and wanes. We have seasons where we feel really close to God and we have seasons where we feel like we drift away. And so my, my questions for you this morning are, First, when's the last time that you felt really near to God? When, when's the last season of your life where you felt so close to Him, right? Maybe that was a, a distant memory. Maybe that was something within a few seasons ago, or maybe you're there now. Maybe you're in a moment of feeling near to God. But my follow-up question is, if you're near to God, do you want to stay there? And if you feel distant, do you want to come back to shore, Right? And so if you want to stay close to God or return or come back to experiencing that nearness, then, then today is for you. So let's look at 1 Kings chapter 11. Um, over the last few weeks, we've been surveying the different kings of Israel. We saw King Saul, where he started off strong, he crashed, and he never recovered. Then we looked at King David, the guy that killed Goliath, and we saw that David started off strong. He crashed but he repented and he was restored. And now we're looking at the life of Solomon, where Solomon starts off strong and experiences much greatness. The truth is his kingship ends in tragedy. All right, so let's look at verses one and two. It says, now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, 
Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away, take note of that phrase, turn away, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. Now, real quick, I think it's important to to point out that these verses are not about interracial marriage. I've heard them taken out of context. It's not talking about different um, races marrying each other. It's talking about people with different allegiances to different gods. So this is not interracial marriage. This is what the New Testament would call being unequally yoked. And so what God is saying here is if you marry these foreign women who worship foreign gods, then these women with their foreign gods are going to pull your heart or turn your heart away from me towards what you should be allegiant to and towards their love and towards what they are allegiant to, right? So in verse 3, it says, He had 700 wives who were princesses. He had 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. Right? And so what's interesting is that's a lot of wives. I mean, 700 wives, 300 concubines. Do you know that the, the average American will purchase 465 pairs of shoes in their lifetime? Like that's a lot of shoes. I'm not going to go into the gender specifics of that, but 465 shoes is what the average American will purchase, both men and women combined, for that average over the course of their lifetime. Solomon is acquiring wives at a faster rate than you're purchasing shoes, right? Like that's crazy to think about. But every wife is a picture of him taking one step further away from God. So every wife is a picture of him taking one step further away. And so in these verses, three different times, you've seen the phrase turn away or turned away, right? And so what is turning away? His heart. They're turning away his heart. And so when the Bible talks about your heart, it's talking about the way you think, the way you feel, and the way that you act. And so your heart is at the seat of your thoughts, your emotions, and your actions, right? And so what's happening is his heart is turning away from God. His thought life is turning away from God. His feelings are turning away from God. His actions are turning away from God. Well, in the 17th century, there was a guy named William Harvey, right? William Harvey was a physician, and he was the first known physician to describe in detail the systemic circulation of blood pumped to the brain and the rest of the body by the heart, right? And so what he discovered is that your your beating heart is central to your physical health. In the same way that your beating heart is central to your physical health, your spiritual heart the way you think, the way you feel, and the way you act, your spiritual heart is central to the health of your faith. And so here's what we need to know when we look at the life of Solomon. If your heart is pursuing Christ, your faith will be healthy. But if your heart isn't pursuing Christ, then your faith is going to struggle. Look at verses 5 and 6. He says, For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, 
the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the, Aben, the, uh, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David, his father, had done. In verses 5 and 6, you'll see the, the term evil. It says that Solomon did what was evil. And this is so important for us to, to realize. Um, God doesn't see us running after things that pull our hearts or turn our hearts away from him. He doesn't see us running after those things and say, that's just not God's best for you. He doesn't see us running after things that are, that are turning our hearts away from him and say, that's not the best choice. It makes me think of this. The other day, um, we, were, we were headed to church and we had to take two different vehicles, uh, the, the dividing and conquering family. And so we're, we're loading up and Lucy is getting into the minivan and she says, I've got the girls, you get the boy, right? And I'm like, sweet. And so the girls are loading up into the sliding doors as they unfold and I have to run inside to get something. So I go inside and I grab something and I come back outside and my son is gone. And I'm like, he got in the van. Like, we're good. Like, they all loaded up together, and so I put my car in reverse. I'm driving away, and here comes my son sprinting through the yard. He's like, he's, I'm like, Whoa. he's like, you almost left me. I was like, where were you? He's like, where were you? Anyways, so, so as we're driving to church, he looks at me just with confidence, and he goes, I mean, if you'd have left me, I could have run to church. And, um, and so we have this conversation, and I was like, I was like which way would you have gone? And he tells me, what I, and he basically gives the route that we would have driven, which would take him on the highway. And I'm like, you can't run on the highway, you would die. And so he thinks, and he comes up with another route. And he tells me another route, which he could have ran to the church. And I go, that's a long run, buddy. And, uh, and he thinks again, and then he provides a third route, which is the route I would take if I was running. And I'm like, that's the best route, right? So, so when you think about the routes, there is a route that would kill him, running down the highway, and then there's a, that's not the best choice route. I think sometimes the way that we frame sin in our lives is that's not the best choice. Or someone is in sin and we'll look at them and because we're so scared of calling sin, sin, we'll say something like, well, I don't think that's what, that's not God's best for you. But what, what Solomon is showing us here, what God is showing us through Solomon's life here is that it's not just that this is not the best decision, it's that things that pull our hearts away from God that we pursue are evil and they are destructive, all right? We have to understand that the things that pull our hearts away from God, when we run after them, God does not see them as merely not the best choice. He sees them as evil and destructive. And so Solomon had his heart pulled away from God because he was pursuing things that were lesser, all right? He was pursuing things that were, were taking him away. Look at verses 7 and 8. It says, Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Melech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. And so what we see at, at the end of Solomon's life is his heart has been fully turned away from God. He's, he's not just stepping one step further and one step further. At this point, he has committed what, what scholars would say is apostasy. He's abandoned his greatest love for God for something less. All right, and this, this tragedy, the way that his story ends, is an, it's, an indiv, it's a, the sin of an individual, 
right? So Solomon is an individual person, but his sins as an individual have generational consequences, which is a scary thing to think about when you think about your sin and why it's a big deal, is that your sin as an individual very well could have generational consequences. But what happens is because of his sin, God divides the kingdom. Where Israel is a united nation, 12 tribes, after Solomon dies, the kingdom splits into a north and a south. And king after king, every king following Solomon leads Israel further and further and further away from God's heart. And so as we look at his life, um, a question is, is how did Solomon end up like this? I mean, how, how did Solomon end up like this, where he starts with greatness but ends in tragedy? Did it all start in chapter 11, or were there some clues along the way? Well, there are some clues. The, the first clue is um, God had appeared to Solomon twice before this. Right? He appears to Solomon in chapter 3. He appears to Solomon in chapter 9. And when he appears to Solomon, he tells him these warnings. So every appearance has a warning where he says, if you let your heart turn away, it will end badly, not just for you, but for generations. If you turn away from me, it will end badly, but Solomon doesn't heed the warnings. But these are clues to us that things are turning south. Another warning is um, in the Bible, there are the fi- first five books of the Bible, the fifth book is Deuteronomy. And, and Deuteronomy contains all of these laws for the nation of Israel. And in Deuteronomy chapter 17, it's known as the law of the king, right? The law of the king. And so in Deuteronomy, when Moses is writing to Israel, who will in the future have kings, he says, hey, your kings need to be careful. They don't need to get a bunch of gold. They don't need to get a bunch of wives. They don't need to get a bunch of chariots. They don't need to get a bunch of horses, right? So they're, they're basically saying, hey, this is a warning for your kings not to pursue these things. Well, in chapter 10 of 1 Kings, guess what we find out about Solomon? He had more gold than Fort Knox. I mean, at one point, the Bible literally just gives the weight in the number 666. It's like, that's a bad number, okay? Like, he's like, your gold is becoming problematic. Um, he has 700 wives, more than you have shoes, right? A bunch of concubines. He has... Um, 1,400 chariots, and he has 12,000 horsemen. And so all of these numbers are the rider cueing us in or cluing us into the fact that Solomon's heart is running away from God, that things are going to end badly, that the curses or the warnings that God has warned him of are going to come to fruition. So this didn't happen overnight. This was something that happened progressively. Right? This didn't happen overnight. This was something that happened progressively. So what happens is Solomon flirted with the world. He began to love the world, and then he was conformed to the world. And so as we look at the life of Solomon, which starts with greatness but ends in tragedy, the tragedy comes where he flirted with the world, he began to love the world, and then he was conformed to the world. That reminds me of Psalm chapter 1. All right, in Psalm chapter 1, I, I love the poetry here and the way that it, 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 it flows. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And so as you read that, I, I want you to, to see the flow that, the, that, that we're getting in chap, chapter 1, verse 1. It said, Blessed is the man who walks 
not in the counsel of wicked. So the first imagery is that of walking. So you're walking with the counsel of the wicked, right? So blessed is the man who, who doesn't walk in the counsel of wicked. And then it says, nor stands. Okay, now our movement is slowing down. There's, there's flirting, and now there's, there's loving, all right? Stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. If I could do a sit, <laughs> like, like here, like, is he crossfitting? What's happening? Um, like sitting in the, so there's movement here, right? It's slowing down, getting more comfortable, but it's showing us progressive movement that when you fall away from God or when you let lesser things take a greater seat in your heart to drive the way you think, the way you feel, and the way you act, it's not an overnight thing. It's not a, a, a snap your fingers. It's progressive, right? And so one of my favorite pastors um, had a social media post this week that I thought was just so compelling, especially for this series. And he, he asked some questions. He said this, if you knew Satan was going to take you down, how would he do it? And so when you think about your life, if Satan was going to take you down, how would he do it? Right? Like how he might take you down is probably different than the way he'd take me down. The way he would take me down might be different than the way he would take you down. But if Satan was going to take you down, how would he do it? The second question he asked was, if you were to commit a horrendous sin in three to four years. So if you could look three to four years down the road and you committed a horrendous sin that affected not just you, but your family, the people that you loved, that was going to affect generations to come. Like if you were to commit a horrendous sin in the next three to four years, what would you look back on today for the seeds of that sin? If you were to commit some horrible sin in the next three to four years, what would you look back on today and say, that was the seed that was planted. Because the seeds of compromise are present long before they cause destruction, right? The seeds of compromise are present long before they cause destruction. So we need to be serious about them and deal with them today. We need to deal with them now. Solomon never addressed the seeds of his compromise and that's why his life ended in tragedy. And so, so what do we do with this? Well, um, I, think, I think marriage is a good illustration here. If you read the story of Israel um, at Mount Sinai, um, when Israel shows up, like there's a marriage ceremony. God's like, this is my most treasured possession, which is the, the, like an ancient Near Eastern thought. That's like how you describe your wife. And so, so marriage. I want you to think about marriage for a second. Um, Cal Berkeley did a study where they tracked 165,000 married couples, right? 165,000 married couples, and they tracked them over the course of their marriage. And here's what, here's what they found. The average um, person gets married in their late 20s. So I think guys is around 28, girls is around 26 to 27. And what they found is that when they tracked married couples from their honeymoon and then year after year, and they simply asked them to rate their level of marital satisfaction. What they found is until about 40, this is crazy. So they're obviously outliers. So this isn't the, the absolute, like this isn't gospel, but it's a trend. The trend is that every year following your honeymoon, 
people reported decreased marital satisfaction until they got to their early 40s. Think about that. If you get married at 28, the first 12 years of your marriage, on average, will be less satisfying year after year after year. And you wonder why most marriages don't make it that long. It's because most people are going like, my marriage isn't getting better. Like, I don't feel like I'm married to the person I fell in love with, which you're not. You're not the same person they fell in love with either. People change. Like, like but the people look at that. But here's what's crazy. They found that at 40, if you, will, if you will stick with it and you will do the work, what they found is that at 40, marriage begins to increase in satisfaction every year until you turn 65. And then from 65 to 75, it actually kind of leveled off, and they didn't do any study beyond 75-year-olds. So I'm sorry, if you're over 75, I don't know what happens. I don't know what happens. <laughs> happens after that. But here's what's crazy. Think about this. 12 years of decreased satisfaction, okay, and then 25 years of increased satisfaction. If you will stick with it and do the work. All right, so when you think about it, for so many of us, when it comes to our faith, I feel like a lot of us have this honeymoon moment where we look back at our faith and we're like, that was when my faith was great. You know, for some people it might be, I mean, like, the truth is for a lot of people, it's, their, it's youth summer camp. They're like, I remember being at summer camp and I mean, the music was hitting, the bass was hitting and the, the speaker just had this powerful message and I don't know what it was, but I went to the front and I got down on my knees at that altar and, and I felt the, the weight of the world come off of my shoulders and I could have stayed there for the rest of my life. And, and there's that moment. For some people, it's, it's college. I remember talking to a worship leader. Um, he, was, he was in his early 50s and, he, and I, this blows my mind. And I, as a pastor, I made a commitment to never do this or fight this the best I could. He was in his early 50s and he said, Jeff, I remember being at college at Samford down in Birmingham. He goes, I remember sitting in the chapel with just me and 20 friends, and we had a guitar, and we were just singing praise. And I remember feeling the, the presence of God in that chapel. And he's like, that's the last time I really felt like I truly worshiped. He was leading worship for over 20 years in churches, but wasn't worshiping himself. For him, it was, that was the honeymoon. He was like, if I could just, if I could just get back there. All right? And so, so I don't know what that experience is for you that you're like, if I could just get back to that retreat, if I could just get back to that camp, if I could just get back to that Bible study that we did that was so good, like, here's the deal, okay? It's not about just getting back. It's, it's that, that you, I'm not just saying that you can get back to where you once were. I'm telling you in the same way that with marriage, if you will stick with it and do the work where you will get to a season of, inc of increased satisfaction, if you will stick with your faith, if you will work on your relationship with God, you won't just get back to where your faith once was. You will find yourself with a faith that's better than it ever has been. You will not just get back to where your faith once was. You can get to a place where your faith is better than it has ever been. All right, so let me, let me wrap up with this in Psalm 1. Just I want to give you three things, quick things. I'm not going to expound on these, but just three quick things that I think can help you if you're like, what work do I do? Like, if I want to work on my relationship with God, how do I do that? The first is the, the walking. It says, walk not in the counsel of the wicked. So the first piece of work is, is like, what counsel are you listening to? Like, what voices are most influential in your life right now? Is it godly counsel or is it another voice? I feel like some people are most shaped by the voice, the voice of a news station. Some people are most... 
they're, 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 they're most shaped by the, the voice of um, pop culture, whether it's a narrative being pushed through music or through movies or um, TikTok and social media. But, like, but think about it, like, what's your counsel? If you want to work on your relationship with God, make sure that you're pursuing godly counsel. Right? So first, pursue godly counsel. The second has to do with the standing and the sitting. Um, don't stand with sinners. Don't sit with scoffers. This doesn't mean we don't pursue and love on people who are sinners or who are far from God. I'm not saying that. But I do think it's important to think about who are you surrounding yourself with? Are you surrounding yourself for the most part with people who long for you to be closer to Christ? Or are you surrounding yourself for the most part with people who would rather you be more like the world? So who are you surrounding yourself with? And the third thing comes with delight. It says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. How much time are you spending with God? Like, how much time are you just saying, I just want to hang out with Jesus? I, I realize this illustration has ran its course. Um, <laughs> people are like, I've, I've asked, I asked our staff team, like, are we, are we like, if, we were, if Redeemer was a person, I was like, what type of music would we listen to? Are we like a Spotify person, an Apple music person? Like, is anybody using Pandora anymore? Like, I don't know. Like, and um, I was like, have you guys ever just like, if you were to hit radio stations, what radio station would you be? And they're like, radio. Like, I was like, are we like 97.3 Christian radio people? Are we like 90.1? Are we alternative? They're like radio stations. But back in the day, all right, um, like when I would drive to college, I would just have radio stations. Like my truck had like six stations. And when you drive, like we didn't have iPods back then um, or iPhones, but like, so you just listen to the radio or a CD that you burned. You're like, kazaa. And, um, and so, so when you would drive, I would hit like station one. And I'm like, that's not good. I'd hit station two, station eight. And so how often did I get all the way through station six and not find one thing I wanted to listen to? And what, what do you do? Station one. Like, think about like the moments in life that you just kind of scroll, whether it's walking through stations, scrolling on your phone, and you have nothing. Like, there's nothing that's grabbing your attention. What if is this moment where the creator of the universe was saying, I want you to hang out with me. Like, hey, like, I know there's nothing on the radio because I'm inviting you to hang out with me. Like, I feel like God is constantly giving us moments through the day where he's just saying, just come. Just come hang out with me for a little bit. Like, how much time are you spending with God? You know, here's, here's the beautiful news of the gospel. You know, we want to find ourselves delighting in God, but the gospel tells us that God delights in us. Zephaniah 3 literally says that God delights in us and he sings over us. And so the more that you think on that Jesus coming into this earth to live the life you couldn't live, to die the death that you deserve, and to rise from the grave was so that God could delight in you. The more you think on the delight of God over you, the more you'll find yourself longing to delight in him. And so we want to spend time delighting in God as he delights over us. God, thank you for your word. God, as, as we as a church enter into this summer season, God, I ask that it wouldn't be a wasted season, that it wouldn't be a season that just flies by and is over, that it wouldn't be a season where we just go through the motions, where we are out of rhythm because there is no rhythm. God, I ask that this summer season would be a season where we do the work to, to seek out godly counsel, 
And God asks that this summer would be a summer where we find ourselves hanging out with people, um, barbecuing, going to the lake, um, grabbing a drink, coffee, whatever. God asks this to be a summer where we are surrounding ourselves with people who long for us to be closer to you. And God, I ask that there would be many, many, many moments in our days where we would find and listen to and hear your invitation for us to hang out with you. And so God, let us not be like Solomon, but God, let us, let us have our hearts fully fixed on who you are so that we can be close to you. So God, help us to, to come back to your nearness, and God, help us to experience something better than we've ever experienced before. It's in your holy name we pray, amen.